Ordinarily, I bring the message based on the series, uh, but today I've decided to interrupt the series um, because we are, at least some of you are celebrating my 20th anniversary of being your pastor. Anything that you've thought I have done right or well, give praise to God. Anything that you think I've done wrong or blown it, forgive me. If I can say what has been the, and what I hope to be continuing my theme of my ministry is simply this, it is about God. That affects everything that I view and see, whether it comes to reading the scriptures or looking at my life. So you see, there are many people who say, well, God just needed someone to love and it was kind of all about me. And I go, no, it's all about God. God wanted to show us and the heavens how much he does love and who he is. And so when we read passages of scriptures and it talks about certain people, oftentimes we get focused on those people as opposed to it's about God. And so, as I say that, I'm telling you that I'm reminded of myself that it's about God. Now, I'm going to, the title of the message today is Our Calling and Our Ministry. And the theme and the push of it is our calling and our ministry. But the one thing that I know most about our calling and our ministry is my calling and the ministry I have done. So I'm going to spend a little, no, a lot more time talking about me. So please forgive me because it's, again, not about me, it's about God. But I'm hoping that as I tell you about me and my calling, that some of you will say, oh, I've experienced that. I have not considered that. Oh, I should do this or that. And so I'm hoping in my discussion about me that you will see some things about you. Hopefully some of them in the good light and some of them that you'd want to make a course correction. It, the message, I guess, is kind of like I, my wife's uh, birthday was a few months ago and I went to the store looking for a card because, you know, as husbands... Uh, not only do we want to do that, we're required to do that. And so I was looking for an appropriate card. And I found a card, and I almost bought it not to give to her, but to keep it. Because the card went on to saying, you know, that, that I'm, I'm so thankful for you because you allow me to be me, and I can do this, and I can do that, and, and whatever. And it was all talking about all the things that you let me do. And so I'm so happy you're my wife because of all the things you let me do. And I almost got the card and wrote at the end of it, I love you and it's not about me. But I didn't buy that card and again I wish I had because it's kind of the way people are. So I bought her another card that I knew she liked because she likes little trinkets on a thing and heart shapes and so knowing my wife, I got that one instead. And so let's, let's go at this. In the book of Corinthians... Paul was writing to a church that was not perfect. 
If you read both First and Second Corinthians, you will see a number of problems that church experienced, and some of them were pretty bad. So he was writing to Corinth, this church at Corinth, and he was writing to the congregation. And so in the beginning of the letter, it says, Paul called on his apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sothenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. I wanted to read that to you because I want you to understand that this letter was not to the pastor of the church. It was not to the leaders of the church. It was to everyone in the church. It was to the saints by calling. All too often, we have this idea, wrongfully so, that the only people who are called is the pastor, the deacons maybe, and some missionaries and some evangelists. And after that, we all just kind of show up at church and do whatever we do. That's wrong. Each and every one of us have been called by God. We've been called by God to be saints, to be sanctified ones, to be believers. But He's also called us in addition to that. And so, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, For consider your calling. So two things. Again, it's to the membership of the church. It's not to the pastors. It's to everyone. And the, the instruction is to consider, to think about, to meditate on, to understand your calling. Brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before the God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So the first thing that we need to understand is not everyone, but most of us aren't that big a deal. We're not really smart. We're not really in the higher echelons of, of society. We're just people. And God has decided to choose people like you and me to do things. It's kind of like, if you will, most of us, if you, when you were kids and you would play a sport and it was not an organized sport, let's say basketball, you'd pick two guys to be, or two girls, whichever the team, uh, to be captains. And usually you how you chose the two captains is you took the two best players and split them so they wouldn't be on the same team. Because you didn't know which team you were going to be on, but you didn't want to be on the team that was loaded. So you split the two best guys, and then you let them pick. And guess what? When they pick, they usually pick the athletic, the tall, the ones who had played basketball before, and then they might choose their friends. And then 
you might experience the one where you are the last person called. That didn't make you feel great. The only thing that helped might soothe that is if you were on the winning team. God doesn't choose that way. He doesn't choose the ones who are the best, the most athletic, the strongest, the tallest. If you will, in this instance, He chose those who would be in wheelchairs. He chose those who needed breathing apparatus. He chose those who could not compete well at the game. Why? So that when we win, it's not about you and me and our abilities, but because of the grace of God and His love and His power has shown the world that we win. So God has, but yet it seems in the church that we somehow get the idea that we are God's gift to whatever. And that my ministry is so wonderful that God is lucky to have me. And the reality is, we're lucky to have God. And so I want you to understand two things from this. Is that God called you. He didn't call Superman. He called you so that He might make in you what He needs for you to be. So that He might get the glory. That He might get the honor. And so we need to understand that whatever success that we have is not because of us. It's because of what God has done. So now I'm going to depart and talk to you about me. And as I've told you before, we are commanded to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And as I told you, that's a really high bar for me because I love me a lot. I take me wherever I go. I laugh at all of my jokes. I think you ought to take my advice. So I love me a lot. So we're going to talk about me. When I was a very young child, I believed there was a God. I don't ever remember not believing that there was a God. I grew up in East Los Angeles. I would spend all of my summers until I was 13 in the state of Virginia. So I both had the opportunity to live in a city and live various places in the country. So I understood both sides. Because of that, when I was five, I wanted to be a doctor. I had the personality to be a doctor because if it weren't for God's calling, I think I'd be God. You know, I, I like to make decisions I actually have a 97 percentile uh, approval in sciences, so all that should say that I ought to be a doctor. My handwriting's as good as a doctor's. It means you can't read it. At seven, because of advice of other people, and because a change in my desire of what I want to do, I decided I want to be a lawyer. And for those of you who don't know, I decided I want to be a lawyer, not because I wanted to be a lawyer. But I thought that was the best transition to become the President of the United States. Talk about having high goals and thinking aspirations of yourself. That was me. Because after all, Lincoln came from a poor family. I came from a poor family. I should have baked it, right? So we moved to this community, Westminster. And there were some people across the street and a few doors down who still attend this church, who invited my family to come to this church and to worship. And we came, 
and we joined, and I was baptized in this congregation. Through my years of being in this congregation, I have taught Sunday school, both youth, young marrieds, and adults. As a matter of fact, I even taught uh, one time while we didn't have a pastor, I taught singles. I made a really big mistake. Um, it was our anniversary, and I taught the singles class that night and stayed a lot longer than I ought to have. And when I got home, my wife said, that was fine. You do it again, you will be single. So I started to understand that, you know, yeah, you may have certain whatever, but you need to balance that with the needs of the family. Not only did I do those types of things, I became a deacon in our congregation. I even became the chairman of deacons. I was the chairman of the pastor search committee between some pastors. In our denomination, not only have I represented as a lawyer um, our association and our foundation, I have uh, been on the annuity board, which is a retirement plan for pastors and others. I was on the state executive board. So I've kind of seen it all and done it all from denominations in our congregation. Just prior to that as being a deacon, we had, the, the pastor then had this crazy idea of having Baptist Men's Day and whatever, and he would have the deacons and certain men of the church preach. And that first time he chose me to start it off. Now I just, uh, was in law school and that type of stuff, so I did it. I prepared a message. I remember the name. It was bilateral and, and uh, unilateral contracts. I won't re-preach the message. You probably think that's an odd title. Um, and I remember back in that day, uh, we had the choir up here. We had the seat for the pastor, the seat for the music director, and I, would, I had to sit there and look out at the faces of the people I was going to speak to. And I had this almost uncontrollable, the only reason I don't say that it was uncontrollable because I didn't walk out. I wanted to walk out the doors and never come back. It was a terrifying experience for me, both because I actually take seriously the Word of God, and quite frankly, there are times you look at your faces and it's kind of scary. And also from a personal point of view, it was like, well, I wanted to be a lawyer, right? And what if I can't talk and whatever, everybody's going to think what a lousy lawyer he's going to be. So I got up here and I, and I did my sermon. They tell you how long it was. They put it on a little cassette tape and handed it to me. It took me one year to listen to it because I just couldn't do it. After about a year, I listened to it. I go, well, that's not half bad. And, and lo and behold, a few months later, they did the Baptist thing again. It was interesting. They would have me do it, and maybe have one or two other guys, and then they just stopped. So the next year, so I got up and I, I did these things. Well, that pastor uh, left. We then had another pastor. And while that pastor was here, well, let me back up. 
while that previous pastor was here, before I started law school, as I told you, I wanted to be a lawyer since I was seven. Just before, the spring before I started in the summer of, of that year to be a, in law school, I felt the, call, the Lord calling me to the pastorate. And I fought with him, and I argued with him, and I said, God, I know who you are. I know what kind of sense of humor you have. And you'll send me someplace like Arkansas with a bunch of rednecks that I will have nothing in common with, and that's what you'll do to me. I think it's a lousy idea. And already I've had these experiences. I don't think it's such a good idea for me to be a pastor. And I argued with him, and I argued with him, and I argued with him, and finally I came to the conclusion that I profess that he's my Lord. And if he's my Lord, he's my boss. And if he's my boss, I'm to do what he says, whether I think it's a good idea or not. After all, people like Moses were called, and they didn't think it was such a good idea. So I was kind of, not that I'm Moses, but same kind of excuses. So I finally said, okay, God, I think it's a terrible idea. If, but if you want me to be pastor, a pastor, I will do that. Then I had a sense of the Lord saying, go ahead and go to law school. But we'll be checking back later. Well, after that pastor left and a new pastor came, after a few years, I felt, even though I was the chairman of deacons, that I was in the wrong place of ministry. So I talked to that pastor about it, and I resigned as chairman of deacons and resigned even as a deacon, and he put me through what we would call a pastor in training kind of educational process. And so I would do uh, some Wednesday night things, and every once in a while I would preach, and I had to do systematic theology and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and then was ordained at this congregation uh, to be, like, if you will, an associate pastor. And during that time, I didn't feel like I was doing what I ought to be doing. I felt like an extra thumb on a hand. So I kept looking at different opportunities to supply, preach, to interim pastor, to do whatever I could to, to use the aspect of ministry of being a pastor that I could. And every door never seemed to open. Oh, I got a chance to preach once or twice, but when you want to do those things, I've gone from never wanting to preach to wanting to preach that and those doors just seem closed. Then a little over 20 years ago, there was a substantial group in our congregation that didn't think that this place was where we could minister and thought we should relocate. And my opinion was the problem wasn't the location, the problem was us. And if we changed us, it didn't matter where we stayed or we went. And so I think, again, I think there were those who kind of thought I would go along with the other group and did not. So they decided to do a different thing, and they started a congregation elsewhere and left us and me as the pastor with the approval of the church to be the pastor and he would kind of like be the associate 
but he'd be kind of like gone. And unbeknownst to me and many of the people who were here, on that first Sunday 20 years ago, about 60 to 70% of them didn't show back up. Even though I had talked to them about filling ministry places and other types of things, they never say, we're not coming. They just they didn't come back. And so the congregation at that time felt fairly abandoned, and rightfully so. And most of the people who were left were retired. So I'm asking the Lord, is my job to be a conservator? Is my job to just hold these people's hands so they have a place to come and worship God until they go on to be with the Lord? And then whatever. I'm going, God, if that's what you've called me to do, I will do. But just as I fought with you before, I think that's a lousy plan. I think we ought to minister in this location. Now, as I look out upon you, there are some, I don't want to use old faces because familiar faces, that's a better term. There are some familiar faces who don't attend here anymore, but you've come back out of love for the church and appreciation, and I thank you for that. But the rest of you, most of you have come to be members here because I've been pastor here for 20 years. You don't know the history and probably don't care about the history. You just want to worship the Lord and be here. So what I want you to know about your calling is first, don't start life and live life with the assumption it's about you. What is it that God wants you to do? Your calling. So we should be considering what God's calling is. And we should be considering that when we are 5, when we're 7, when we're 10, when we're 35, when we're 55, when we're 75, when we're 95, whatever. God, we should be considering our calling. And a lot of times people will say, well, I'm, you know, I'm old and I don't know why God still has me here. Well, I tell people, apparently he does, and there must be some reason for the ministry that you're to do. And I say, and even after God calls you home, you still have a job. And this is your job. Ask God to bless this place. So whether you're living and breathing, or you're no longer, you have a job. So, other than that, as we consider our calling, what is that calling? So if you'll take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 14 through 21, it says this. For the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. Our actions, our life, our intentions should be based on the control of Christ's love. And I would say, however you want to read this, it's two-way. My actions should be controlled because God, Christ, loves me so much that that should control my life. At the same token, my love of Christ should be so much that it controls my life. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, 
that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now in my calling, I was, I was waiting, I was thinking I was useless and an extra thumb and didn't know what God was doing. And at the same token, all of a sudden, in the course of a few hours, I changed from wondering what God was doing to being your pastor. I felt like I was on a shelf, and there are times I'm sure you have felt, what is God doing? Why, why isn't things going? Why is it I seem to be stuck? And I'm telling you, maybe the time of waiting is so that God can use you in precisely the way He wants to use you. And you're not in a holding pattern. You're just waiting on the Lord. Now notice here it says, because of who Christ is and because of what He's done, we no longer consider ourselves by the flesh. All too often, and that's why I am unique to most churches, now, I understand you think that way is unique, but what I'm saying is this. I bet there aren't more than two handful of churches in the nation where the pastor grew up in that church. God was waiting for the right time to use me to be your pastor, and to have the privilege and the honor to do that. Even though I was feeling like God had just left me out. And there are times that you may feel in your ministry that God has left you out or is waiting or isn't using you. And my, my word of encouragement to you is just wait on the Lord. But even so, you still have a ministry. And that ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Because as the scripture says, God has been offended and is angry at our sin. He is personally offended and angry at our sin because our sin is against him. But in this ministry of reconciliation, it doesn't say, well, you need to take the first act to get God to be up, not upset with you. God is the one who has taken the first act by sending his son to die for our sins so that we might be reconciled to him. That we might have this relationship with him is more than just peaceful, but is one that is joyous and comforting and personal. And God has done that. And God has given you and me the ministry to tell others of that reconciliation. That's your ministry, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, or you simply sit in the pew. 
If you're a believer, God has called you to be a minister of reconciliation. Now, one of the ways that you can accomplish this is reconcile with other people. Well, you don't know that so-and-so has hurt me. Yeah, that's what God did. God took the action of reconciliation himself, even though we were the ones who offended God. But more than that, we need to communicate that as ministers, that God has done what he has done, sacrificed his son, that we might be friends and children of God. But he did that and gave us this ministry even before we were perfect. He's created a new creature. We're it. It doesn't matter who you were or what your past was. God has called you to be new and to be this minister. Therefore, since we've been committed this word of reconciliation, since we have been given this ministry, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul is saying, when we speak, we're as if we were ambassadors. When an ambassador goes to a various country, he doesn't go there, she doesn't go there to spout off what they think. They communicate what the desires and intents and interests of our nation are. And in the same way, God has placed us in this ministry of reconciliation to be ambassadors, to communicate to this world and to the people we come in contact, God's interests, God's desires, and God's intent. And that He is seeking a loving relationship with His people. Not only that, he said, and he made him Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Right in here is the words, the message of reconciliation. So our ministry, whether you're the pastor or you hold some office, is a ministry of reconciliation. That is our ministry, not just mine, it's ours. But the next question, well, if that's our ministry, then who do we minister to? Well, Jesus tells us that. In Matthew 28, it says this, Verse 18, and, when, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The who is everyone. What? This word of reconciliation. So that once we have made them reconciled with God, that we teach them to be like Jesus. To be His disciples. And all too often, what we do is we develop people who are just like us. 
And that's not what Jesus had called us to do at all. He has called us to make people like Him. Those of you who have experienced um, various uh, martial arts like karate or judo or jujitsu or whatever, most of you have gone through that kind of training, but you do it based on a certain sensei who had a particular approach to how they did things. They, they moved this way or that way or they did whatever. They'd break your arm this way versus that way. And you would follow their teaching because they were your sensei. Jesus, not to belittle him, is our sensei. We are to be just like him. We're to move and breathe and act like Jesus not like pastor so-and-so or theologian X, but we are to be like him. Now, unfortunately, the best Jesus many people know is you. And we need to be aware of that. But as we're aware of that, we say, look it. Unfortunately, I am a poor substitute for Jesus but I'm trying harder to be like Him because I am now a new creation. He has made me righteous. He has made me sanctified. He has made me holy. And I'm just waiting for Him to finish the job. So we are to tell the nations to observe not some of what he's taught, not a couple of verses of what he taught, but all that he's commanded us. Which means that you and I need to know what it is he has taught so we can communicate that to others. And the best way to teach is to learn. Almost every teacher I know will tell me they learn so much more when they're preparing to teach than they do if they're just a student. And that's what we ought to be considering. We ought to be considering ourselves teachers so that when we study the Word, we get it and we understand it so that we can communicate it, not because it makes us look good, but because it is what Jesus has commanded us. Because He said, all authority has been given to Him. Do this. That's why I kind of don't like the whole, quote-unquote, Great Commission. The commission seems to, to indicate like I'm a lieutenant. No, I'm just a private. He told me to do this, charge that hill, I charge that hill. I don't ask why, I don't, because he knows the authority has been given to him, therefore make disciples, and that's what we're to do. And finally, we know our ministry, we know our calling, we know to whom, and now the finally to where. Acts chapter 1 tells us this in Jesus' final words here on earth. In verse 6, I'm going to jump one verse ahead. It says, So when they had come together, they were asking Him, saying, Lord, is it at this time we are, You are restoring the kingdom to Israel? There's a little key to that. They're still like us. They have an agenda. They want the kingdom to be restored, and they want to be big deals in it. They wanted one to sit on his right hand and one to sit on his left hand. They had an agenda. And quite frankly, all too often, we believers 
have agendas. In verse 7, he said, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now I want you, that's not a throwaway line. God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. That's a tough one. And we can't do it on our own power, authority, thinking, confidence. It is the Holy Spirit that draws all men and women to Him. It's not my charisma. Thank God, because I have very little of it, if any. It's not my great brain, although I think I have a great brain. There's nothing I can do to convince you that God is who He is and does what He said He will do. But it is the Holy Spirit that does. And so, in our ministry, we remember, and we need to remember, what our job is. Our job is to communicate. It is not to change. It is not to get people to become believers. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Because He'll go on, you'll be given power by the Holy Spirit when it comes upon you. And you shall shall. It's not an option, not maybe, not kind of. It's not you may be. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So where? Everywhere. Everyone, everywhere, our ministry. So those people who were saying, this is not the place we can minister, were wrong. Because our ministry is everywhere to everyone. Now I know that people, you've probably heard, because they'll go backwards and say, well, you know, we don't live in Jerusalem and whatever. So they'll say, well, we, we're here in Westminster, so we're to be witnesses in Westminster, and then we're to be witnesses in Orange County and, and uh, California and the United States. I want to go both ways first. I want to go from their perspective. From their perspective, they go to Jerusalem and out. And it says to the remotest part of the earth. That's us, people. We keep thinking the remotest part of the earth is like someplace in Africa or South America. It's us. Well, how do, how do you mean by us? Because if you're in Jerusalem and you want to get to Orange County, you either got to go all the way across the, the continent of Asia, which is a big continent. Then you got to get on a boat and you got to go all the way across a really big ocean called the Pacific Ocean and land in the port of Long Beach or something and then you take a little trip down to Orange County. Or if you go the opposite way, you got to go either across the continent of Africa and or the continent of Europe, get on a boat, go across an, an ocean not as big called the Atlantic, land somewhere in New York Florida, someplace, and go across the continental United States to land up in Orange County. Both of those places from both of those directions make us the remotest part of the earth as far as their perspective goes. I want to give you a different perspective for you and me, though. So you're to be my witnesses both in Jerusalem. But what is Jerusalem? It was the place they went to worship. They went to temple at least three times a year to worship God and to acknowledge who He is. So you're to be my witnesses where you go to worship. You're to go both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. 
where you live. The disciples lived in Judea. That's where they lived. They were to be disciples where they lived. They were to be, disciples, they were to be witnesses in Samaria. That was a place that nobody wanted to go. Everybody walks around it because they were half-breeds. They were terrible. No one wanted, not a Jew wanted to associate with them. They said, the people you don't like, you're to be my witnesses. And finally, to the remotest part of the earth. Those places you haven't even thought of. We are to be His witnesses throughout the world. Now as a part of our ministry, I'm here to tell you that we're trying to and have fulfilled and are fulfilling that. As I shared with you, there was a group of people who said, we can't be here. Not only are we still here 20 years later with a bunch of people who never knew the problems of the past, we have a website. And in that website, we have, I don't want to overemphasize, so I'm going to say about 100, I think it's more countries who have gone on our website. Countries in every continent except Antarctica. In Muslim countries. In communist countries. In countries where the internet's not supposed to be all that free. People have clicked on to our website. Now on some of them, I don't know how long it is, but we have been witnesses to the world. And we have given them the opportunity to hear more and more sermons than probably anybody, especially you, would want to listen to. But we've made that available. So much so, and how it's worked. I received a couple years ago an email from a pastor in the Philippines. His question was, what other ministries do we have in the Philippines? Now I want you to, we're doing a website and his question to this church, this little church that no one cares about, who thinks that we're insignificant, wants to know what other ministries are we doing in the Philippines? And to show how interesting it is, this pastor who reached out comes from a town where one of our members actually came from. We also had a young lady who reached out to us from Sweden. And not only did she reach out to us, she spent a few weeks with us at someone's home, who was the one who invited me to get here to begin with. And she was supposed to be spending a little time with us, and then another time with some other people. She was gone like a day or two and said, can I come back? That's how much we affect people. She felt loved and appreciated and wanted to be a part of. And when she got back home, she was made, making a difference in her church to say how loving we were, and she wanted her church to be like that. So sure, we can say, oh gee, some of you with familiar faces may remember a bigger sanctuary, more people, But what you're not seeing is not only are you sitting in the pews listening to the message, so are people on various social media.
We have Stitcher. We have YouTube. We have uh, Periscope. We have, we have a number of things. We also even have it on Facebook. And in Facebook, we've, we've gotten likes, which is nice. I've even gotten a couple of uh, things that people that weren't too impressed with us. It's okay. Uh, one person said, because the message on being thankful to God and his response was, how, how can you be thankful to an imaginary friend? I decided not to respond. Um, we had others where they kind of used foul language. And I'm thinking, well, kind of interesting. But at the same token, let's look at it this way. Jesus said, they hated me. Don't expect the world to like you anymore. So if they're going to treat me like Jesus, I'm in great company. But what I want to tell you, congregation, is we have a vibrant and necessary calling that God has called all of us to. And that we have a ministry that God has called all of us to. And yes, we are having some success. And yes, it would be great if we had more success. But the question isn't success. The question is, are we faithful? And if God had decided 20 years ago that my job was to sit and hold a bunch of old people's hands until they went to be with the Lord, then fine, that's what he had called me to do. And if God decided that he's going to make this church bigger than the biggest church, whatever, fine, that is what God has called us to do. But we don't work based on success. We base our work on the love of Christ controlling us. So I want to thank you for the opportunity and the privilege and the honor to be your pastor. And I don't know how many moments, hours, days, months, or years that God will allow me to continue to do this. But it doesn't seem like 20 years. Sometimes it seems like a lifetime. And sometimes it just seems like yesterday. But I could not be the pastor I am if it weren't for one, my wife, who allows me to do these crazy things. And not only that, wants to be a minister as well and, and teaches and does her ministry. I could not be the pastor that I am if it weren't for you. Sure, people will say, well, how can you be both an attorney and a pastor? And I go, well, it does seem kind of different. But when I come and I preach before you, it gives me new energy. Oh, sure, I may be tired after the service, but there's a new vigor. Because I believe I'm doing what God has called me to do. And that's how each and every one of us should be. You're not just a pew sitter. You're not just a Sunday school teacher. You are a minister for the living God. You are an ambassador for Christ. And I want us to remember that and not be apologetic for where we may be. Because it is not about you and it's not about me.
is about our God. And let us boast in Him. And may we hear at the end, not, well, you know, you had a successful building program, or that you, you know, so many people and you notched your Bible, but that you and I might hear, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter my rest. And all God's people said,